players gather to cast powerful 2020 cards. Some of the oldest and most powerful in 2020. Hull Breacher. Opposition Agent. Crark the Thumbless. Battling head-to-head in snowballing non-games, they all have one thing in common. To uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Raw on YouTube, Thurban University, and TheEpicStorm.com. Good evening, folks, and welcome to episode 37 of the Eternal Glory podcast, Something Fishy This Way Comes. I'm Phil Gallagher, joined by Bryant Cook and Brian Koval. How are you doing tonight, gentlemen? Oh, just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. That's where I'm at. Yeah, that sounds about right for right now. We're recording this right in the... uh the wake of thanksgiving uh, and we're we're getting ready ready for the the stock in coronavirus to just go whoop, up 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 on all of the graphs uh yeah I, I will say that when i i said just keep swimming bryant gave me a look in our google chat that like what is wrong with you what is this <laughs> <laughs> i mean i know that one uh, so i didn't know what the the something wicked this way comes reference was like when phil suggested the title yeah, I know it just keeps swimming. I was going to make a bad pun about like how uh DNT players are food nut friends. Uh, uh I, I've said that many times live on stream. Yeah. Yeah. It's often a massacre. Anyway, but moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, what's going on in your life? Well, uh school is still shut down. Uh we we got the official call uh, uh about like 20 minutes before I sat down to record this cast tonight that we've gone from kicking the can down the road like it was like uh we'll be back November 25th, December 1st, December 7th, and now it's just like we'll let you know. Like sorry, we don't have a date. We're not going to pretend we have a date, but uh things are are going to be closed for a while. So, uh we're we're going to easily carry this into the new year uh we're not going back before christmas that's pretty much locked at this point um i had a uh nice small chill thanksgiving uh just kept it small didn't involve the whole extended family though i will say the uh the dumber branch of my extended family uh, i have an enormous family both of my parents are one of nine so i just have like 18 aunts and uncles uh on each side plus all of their broods so like there's bound to be like a rotten branch and one of them uh is uh th- they had like a 18 person thanksgiving with uh my aunt who is like almost died from surgery several times in the last three or four years like she she's barely alive and they like schlepped her out there and just milling around and uh, uh they were that was with their other side of the family, not the one I'm related to. My side all knew better. But I'm very proud of my grandma, who is a uh, lifetime uh, crotchety Republican. She's 91 years old. She is exactly the type of person to be like, I've lived long enough. If COVID's going to get me, I'm going to go enjoy Thanksgiving. But she didn't. She 
turned down every offer. She sat alone in her house and she just received phone calls from all of us. And I'm very proud of her. <laughs> she she could have done so many things that would have been on character and she just didn't. So good job, Grandma. Um, it was it was a hard holiday for a, a lot of people. You know, this this was, you know, the one of two times in the next month or so where people are really going to feel the pandemic more than normal. Yeah, uh, Thanksgiving to me is always just sort of like whatever. Like I, I usually just go to my parents and like we we maybe I, I'm like I'll be thirty three in a week and in my thirty three Thanksgivings at this point it's like I think like four of them were huge like we really got the family together but usually it's between like four and eight people uh, is is how and sometimes I just don't even go. My parents are like, do you want to come over for Thanksgiving? I'm like, not really. <laughs> like, I've done that a couple times, too. And uh, that's not important to me. But uh, Christmas is definitely one where people or uh, it's also uh, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and all of these winter things that people are used to. So uh, it's going to be tough there. Uh, so uh, th- Thanksgiving is like one of those holidays where I'm not actually super close with my family. So I'm not used to doing big Thanksgivings anyway, uh, until I started dating my significant other. And then we would do Thanksgiving with her family, which is just like a blast, uh, compared to how mine was growing up where it was a lot of yelling to get out of the kitchen and stuff like that. So it's usually like pretty refreshing. And this year it just felt so awkward where like, it felt like another day until we were like, uh, her uh, parents like drove over and gave us leftovers at a very like far distance and then waved and left. And then we ate the leftovers and like went to bed. Uh, so it didn't feel like a holiday at all. It just felt like, eh, today's Thursday. Yep. Which is just like so strange. Yeah, it, it's definitely, it is a tough thing. Um, uh, it, I, I don't know what the uh, non-American equivalent to this is uh, like I, I know we have a lot of international listeners who don't have Thanksgiving uh, at least not in the way that we do or at the time that we do but uh, uh, I was I spent Christmas in Germany last year uh, I, I just stayed in Europe after eternal weekend in Paris and went over to Germany and it was it was a big deal like even though I don't have family to gather with like I could tell that it was a like BFD over there and uh it that's that's gonna hit. Uh, for those of you who didn't have the the Thanksgiving warm up, Christmas is gonna come hard. Uh, though I don't know, our other countries, everyone's doing better than us, right? Maybe they can have Christmas. Who the <laughs> fuck knows? Oh, I laugh so I don't cry there. So it's weird. Uh, going back to my significant other and like doing Thanksgiving with her family, Christmas is the opposite. Where like they do a super low key Christmas. Uh, a lot of Jewish people in the United States order takeout food on Christmas because, like, it's just another day. And while her family isn't Jewish, that's the, like, tradition that they do. They just order Chinese food every year and, like, watch movies. So I'm like, this is great. Like, no one's yelling or anything. It's so relaxing. So we've started doing that every year as well uh, with them. And I think this year we're just going to order Chinese food and watch movies on our own. But, like, it's really comforting not, like, having to stress about a large dinner or anything like that. Yeah, uh, like like I said, my family's huge, but we're scattered. So like my nearest blood relative is like, you know, three and a half hours from me. So it's not like the whole you know, 60 of us pile into the house on Christmas Day every year or anything. Like normally our Christmas is pretty chill. Like our tradition is dinner and a movie on Christmas Eve. And then we just sort of like 
open our presents Christmas morning and then drift off to our other sides of the house and like read or play games or whatever we're going to do and then reconvene for dinner. So uh, I can relate to those low-key holidays. I prefer everything to be low-key. I hate crowds basically 100% of the time. That is my personality. Weird. You uh, Have you ever been to a Magic the Gathering Grand Prix? Uh, let me tell you how much I hate those, by the way. <laughs> uh, the The advent of digital pairings, like posting the pairings to a website or push notifications through the Top Deck app, was actually life-changing for me. Like, jostling my way through the crowd to the paper pairings boards are some of the worst times imaginable. Um, yeah, shout out to Lincoln Baxter III for just being an absolute monster for making that, like... That was such a quality of life improvement. Absolutely. So I don't know if you guys have also experienced this. I love Top Duct. Uh, but when you go to an event that doesn't have Top Duct, I feel like I've gone to like lower class. Like I'm like riding the bus instead of flying somewhere. I'm like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, why am I even here? I should have stayed home. Uh, that sort of thing. Sometimes like at the local level, like uh, Clubhouse Cards, that's my home store, my sponsor store. I have, uh, if they have like a, like F&M, it doesn't really matter. They can just put paper pairings up. There's 20 people or whatever. But when they run like a big thing, like they've, they've given away like power and Black Lotus and like some crazy shit over the last couple of years and they draw like a hundred people. And I'm always like, just screenshot the pairings and post them on your Facebook. Everyone is like, likes you on Facebook. So they'll see them and it'll cut down. Like it is very easy to just backdoor digital pairings. And everyone should be doing it. It's so easy. It's so important. Uh, my first Grand Prix I ever went to, I caught an elbow from Patrick Chapin at the pairings boards. Like, it, it, it was like a hard elbow. I remember it forever. <laughs> <laughs> he's a tall, lanky man. That kind of felt good. Yeah, he, he's as tall as me, but significantly bonier. And not knowing what to expect, because it was my first Grand Prix, I had a metal toolbox, like a big, heavy, like uh, three, two and a half foot long, like uh, one foot deep, like metal ass toolbox that I had like 20 decks in and a bunch of like trade stuff and dice and whatever. And that's what I carried to the LGS because like it doesn't matter. You just put it down and you're good. But I carried that thing around in my hand. I had no backpack. My shoulder was in pain. I couldn't navigate crowds effectively. I deserve that elbow. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the day I stopped bringing a trade binder to large magic events was a very happy day. Like, I didn't realize the stress I was putting on myself in between rounds until, like, I stopped doing it. Ugh. Yeah. There, there was a time in my early days where I just brought everything and I don't know why I brought everything. Like, I wasn't going to sell it. I didn't need to build decks on the fly. But that's actually how I met Jarvis the first time. Uh, it was before a, a Star City Legacy Open. And he was just like, does anyone have a moat? And I was like, why, yes, I do. Because <laughs> I have every card I own in my bag right now. <laughs> so uh, that's how I met Jarvis. But these days, like, people come up to me. They're like, do you have a flooded strand? I'm like, you should have asked me four days ago before I left my house. And I would have one for you. I, I usually show up to a tournament with like 75 cards on my body. Exactly. That's how I am now. But when I was a, a kid that used to trade a lot, I would carry my entire collection with me, much like Brian, in this one backpack. And now being a, you know, a crotchety 31 year old man with back pain, I'm like, why did I do that? My back's been suffering for years. Uh, instead of like, I'd also like go through a backpack a year because the bottoms would rip out. 
she's like, I wonder why. Yep. They were not meant for all that. All right, Brian. I've been curious for a long time. In the show notes here, it just says dynamic insertion. Okay, so and I've got to know what's going on. So uh, let me let me fill in a little behind the stage, uh, behind the scenes action for the the listeners. In our show notes on my life updates, my three points I have yet to discuss are Taco Bell run goods, dynamic insertion, and new pizza tech. So buckle up. I got. I only want to know about new pizza tech. Like I am dying to know. All right. Well, I'll start with Taco Bell run goods because that's a that's a quick story. So, uh, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, I was home chilling and like I needed to go. Uh, I I was driving to the LGS to pick up my Commander Legends pre-orders, and I was hungry. I stopped at Taco Bell, and in the time between I when I ordered at the drive-through and when I pulled up to the pay window, their system crashed, and they were like. It's on us. We still have your order, but we can't charge you right now. Which was hilarious because, like, my order was, like, $9 and change, and they asked if I wanted to round it up for charity, and I was like, sure. So I was literally holding a $10 bill. Like, there is no math to do here. I could hand you this. And they were like, no, it's on us. So not only was my meal comped, but they also further apologized by giving me a, like, handful of free taco tickets. So I have free tacos on the stack for the next time I go. So that that was pretty nice. Uh, I feel like it's really hard to eat $10 worth of Taco Bell. Like, I would Bullshit. struggle. Bullshit. It depends what you're getting. Like, are you just getting 10 $1 tacos? Or are you, like, if you get the higher quality stuff, like, if you go special. Like, I'll tell you what I got. Uh, I got the the $5 chalupa box that comes with, like, a chalupa, a taco, those cinnamon twists, and a drink. And then... On top of that, I got the new grilled cheese burrito, which I didn't know was a thing, but I had to have. It it's just like a beef burrito, but the outer layer is grilled cheese. Like like they've somehow <laughs> infused the the genuine flavor of like a grilled cheese like like your mom used to make on the stove, like wrapped around a beef burrito. It's amazing. I admit, I, you have to wonder the food testing that happens for this kind of stuff because it's like we need to find like 21 year old gamers that are baked out of their minds and then ask them what they would like to eat right now. And some guy that was just ripped was like, man, I fucking love grilled cheese. And they're like, okay, well, let's write that down. Grilled cheese. Yeah, uh, but we're a taco <laughs> restaurant. So how do we incorporate this? <laughs> I'm glad they did. Let me tell you, it was great. All right. Uh I, I will save dynamic insertion for last, and I'll talk about the new pizza tech. So uh, I watch uh, Try Guys with my girlfriend a lot. It's a YouTube channel, if you're not familiar. They're really great. And basically, the, the premise is that they, they just do stuff they've never done before and film their experiences doing it. And they try. And they, they're guys. So they're Try Guys. And one of the, the things, it was uh, like uh, at-home night versus fancy date night. Uh, and they... It was pizza night, so they like went out and built and bought these like fifty five dollar pizzas from some fancy restaurant in L.A. And then they came home and made their own fanciest pizza they could think of. And they not only made a stuffed crust, like I've made stuffed crust before, where you just like roll out your crust and then you wrap uh, like cheese sticks in the crust. If you got a stuffed crust, but they laid out the crust, covered the whole shit in shredded mozzarella put another crust on top of it, and then rolled the cheese sticks around the edge. So it was a stuffed crust all the way, 360, not only on the edge, but the whole way through the middle. 
And I, I was literally yelling at the TV when this was happening. <laughs> like, like, how have I lived my life not knowing how to do this? I've never even heard of that before. So I'm excited about that. And okay, dynamic insertion is both less exciting and more exciting than you think it is. Whatever's in your brain right now, uh, it, it, it is nothing sexy uh, unless you're really into tech shit. And then it's very sexy. So uh, I, I listened to the Conan O'Brien podcast. Uh, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. It's great. And they're currently running this golden ticket thing. Like it's a golden ticket giveaway. Like you can win a chance to hang out with, not hang out with, but like on Zoom, hang out with uh, Conan O'Brien and the podcast crew. And the way the golden ticket works is they use a technology called dynamic insertion, where some number of people who are listening to the podcast will get like in their ads, instead of ads, they'll get like, bum, 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 bum. you've won a golden ticket. Here's how you redeem it. And it all you have to do is listen to the podcast. You don't have to enter. You don't have to like be plugged into anything. It just like shows up in some of the podcasts and not in some of the other ones. And the way that that works is uh, called dynamic insertion. And I noticed over the summer, I was listening to a much older episode, like a year and a half old. And the... The content was recorded a year and a half ago, but the ads were like, oh, it's difficult times in quarantine. And I was like, how did they know that? Like, is someone like pulling the old ads and replacing them with new ads just in case someone goes back in the archive? And the answer is yes, but more automated than that. It's called dynamic insertion. They can pull certain parts and replace it for certain listeners. And they've just inserted golden tickets to hang out with Conan O'Brien in the listening experience of the podcast for some people, but not everyone. And I just thought that was fucking awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. It's sexy in a very different way than what I was expecting. Yeah. I am dynamically inserted into interest in that. <laughs> Working in marketing, like, I kind of already <laughs> understand how it works. Uh, like, I'm not as impressed as I should be. I'm just like, yeah, obviously that's how it works. Like, the ads are just like, they're not built into the story. They're like chopped up. Yeah, yeah. And like I, I piece that together in my like thinking uh, primate brain uh, over the summer when I heard new ads in an old episode. I was like, oh, yeah, obviously there must be some technology that does that. But to stretch that into something whimsical like this, I, I was just blown away at how much fun that is. When I uh, decided to, you know, be less of a boomer and join Spotify, this was four or five years ago. The only ad I ever got on Spotify was Sherry's Berries. And I don't think like I'll go to my deathbed remembering the ad for Sherry's Berries. Like it is the greatest ad of all time. It's just like need berries shop Sherry's Berries on Spotify or like something like that. But like Sherry's Berries, like it's like it would be tragic if like that ad ever quit running. I wouldn't know. Uh, I I determined immediately when I found Spotify that paying $10 a month for an iPod with all songs ever on it was worth it. So I, I haven't heard an ad on Spotify basically ever. Missing out. <laughs> LeBron doesn't even pay for Spotify premium. <laughs> I, I bet he doesn't. Alright, Phil, what's up? Um, So, like, normally this is the section where we talk about the non-magic things that we're doing, but, like, all I've done for the past two weeks is, like, eat, sleep, and breathe magic again. When I, like, get excited about something, I just, like, dive in head first and don't stop. 
So over the past month, I've been like teaching myself limited, like really trying to get down to the fundamentals, learn theory, listen to podcasts, watch other people draft, draft a shit ton. And I've also been trying to teach myself historic as well at the same time. So it's been the, the sort of week where it's like, ah, I've got 20 minutes before dinner. Eh, let's boot up arena. I'm going to bed. Eh, let's fall asleep watching a draft. And I have gotten so much better at magic in the last couple of weeks like holy crap i have built up some really strong fundamentals that i didn't know i was missing absolutely yeah limited is the money i would like to share something that i was sent it was a screenshot that just said we have a reader and it was phil gallagher thraben you with three packs with everyone else waiting on phil <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, so the, this this is probably a little bit toxic in retrospect, but when I moved to Pittsburgh and joined the Carnegie Mellon CMU uh, draft crew, uh, like Tuesday nights, we would just team draft until we pass out. Um, a lot of the local restaurants would give uh, like 50% off discounts starting at 1 a.m. So we would just draft the night away until those kicked in and then go eat. Uh, so like, but the... We got a reader. Shouting, we got a reader was a big part of that. Uh, also, oh, first time drafting was a big one. Um, shouting, boring. Anytime anyone like tanks even a little bit, like let's keep this thing moving. I want to fire another draft. Um, uh, we we had a lot of those. Um, my favorite thing from those days were when we would fire a draft and then realized it was 1.30 in the morning and we were too tired to actually play out a draft, we would just lay out our decks and decide which team would win the draft if we played it out. Because that's how magic works, obviously. Yeah, 100% of the time. Brian, what have you been doing? So uh, I think on the last podcast I mentioned how my computer died and I was going through some boot camp issues. Alex McKinley is a very smart man and was just like, Bryant, I know that on your last machine you thought parallels didn't work very well, but I think that you should try it out again. Honestly, I feel like my life has been changed. I downloaded a free trial of parallels and I've been using it. And it's essentially they've created this thing called coherence mode. So it's essentially like I can just boot up. There's no window for Windows. Like there's no box on your screen that's just like running Windows in the background. It just doesn't exist. So instead, you're just running Magic Online and other programs as Windows inside of your Mac. And it's like any other program. Uh, You don't have like the Windows taskbar or anything. It's just like it's there. It's beautiful. Uh, I'm a really big fan. So much so that I paid for the license early on Cyber Monday, uh, 20% off. And I figured what day would be better than Cyber Monday for every year for it to renew so I can just keep on getting that value discount? seems perfect uh other than that when i was uh transferring computer stuff the you know that stupid little clip on your ethernet cord that keeps it in mine broke and my ethernet cord runs through my carpet up into the closet into the closet ceiling into the attic across the house down the central wall of the house to the basement across the basement uh ceiling up into a floor into my router And people are like, why don't you just replace the cable? I'm like, I will kill you. You know how much work it took me to get that there? I will murder you. So instead, I decided to cut off the tip and then just put on a new uh, like cable tip. 
it was way more difficult than I expected because I was just like, I'm not going to pay $20 for this special tool that just makes it easy. I'm going to do it the hard way. So I just bought the tips and then nothing I did worked. And I watched a bunch of videos and it turns out that it was a two uh, part issue. One, the tips I bought weren't pass-throughs. So if you ever decide to do this, make sure you buy pass-through RJ45s because the pass-through part is that when you open up an Ethernet cord, there's eight wires and they have to be in a specific order. And it's not the order that the wires come out of the cable in, uh, which makes it even more difficult. And then the other part is that the tip, if they're not passed through, you just have to jam the wires in and pray that they go in in the right order and then crimp them. And I don't want to just pray that the wires somehow go in in the right order uh, and then crimp them. Because if you don't, you have to cut off more wire and then just keep on doing it until you get it right. So that with the pass throughs, you get to control the order of the wires 100% of the time. So I did this. I bought the special tool for $15 and I crimped it. And it worked. And I was like, I'm a wizard. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe I did this. I created the internet and uh, I was so thrilled. I like ran around the house for a couple laps. I was like, yes, I just felt very successful for that slight second. Yeah. There's nothing like failing for a long time to really put success in, in perspective. (laughs) Uh, other than that, like I'm an awful person. I mean, most of our listeners already know that, but I gave Jeff Bezos way more money than he deserves on Black Friday. Uh, and then I immediately felt like remorse because like all these articles started being shared in my Twitter feed about how Jeff Bezos doesn't pay his employees and stuff like that. But like it goes back to like the Walmart thing where like the convenience that it provides you uh, towards like what the employees are being paid, it's it's terrible. Uh, and then I like started going on this like deep dive of like all this, these shitty things Jeff Bezos does. And I'm like, I give him so much money every month. And I've just had this like moral dilemma the last few days. Um, I don't know. I just felt like bringing that up, but like I give Amazon so much money and I feel bad about it. The way I think about it is you have to pick some things that are really important to you and you fight those battles. And then some other things you have to let go because you only have so much, you know, time, mental energy, all that sort of stuff. So you can be mad about it and then just be like, it's two clicks to get exactly what I need without having to go out in the pandemic. Yeah, okay. well, they're actually opening up an Amazon warehouse here in Syracuse. So like Jeff Bezos will be giving a lot of jobs to people in the area that can probably use it. <laughs> don't don't However, go down that road. They're all going to, uh, they're all going to get COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah, trying to justify it like, oh, well, he's going to give a lot of jobs to my community. Like, just fuck it. Like, if you're going to use Amazon, do it. Like, uh, I, the number of times, like, I, it's probably like every three or four months, I'll be like, I need some simple thing. And then I go out and it's like, who sells the simple thing? Something like uh, label maker tape. And it's like, who would sell this? Uh, Target. Uh, Nope, they don't have the right size. Um, Joanne Fabrics. Uh, Nope, they stopped carrying label maker and supplies. Uh, Michael's Crafts. Uh, Then I go there like, nope, wrong size. And I've spent an hour. I've gone to three stores and nobody has the shit. I just go home and click on it and it's on the way to my house. And like... That happens every three or four months, and I'm just like, why do I even leave my house? <laughs> like, it's it is tough to, uh, I don't know, uh, like the the amount of work, and if it actually paid off, like if I was making labels later that day, maybe that's okay. But Pittsburgh does have a Amazon warehouse, and I frequently get my stuff like within 18 hours of ordering it. Like, I'll, I'll be, like, ordering it on the couch at night, then I go to bed, and it's there by lunch the next day. And, like, 
what what are you gonna do i experienced a little bit of that by my new mac i was like i want an i7 i had an i5 for you know the eight and a half nine years of my previous iMac and i7s just have more threads you can do more at the same time so it's much better for streaming for example so i was like okay i want this iMac today i'm gonna drive to the apple store i'm gonna be safe you know all that good stuff i get there and they make me go through all these tests to get inside. I tell them before I even take the test, I'm just here to buy an iMac. They're like, yeah, we have plenty of iMacs. I get inside. They are literally, they have zero iMacs in the store. They're like, yeah, the pandemic, everyone's buying up computers. I'm like, you couldn't have told me before I went inside. So I drive to Best Buy. Best Buy is like, yeah, we have them in stock. And I get there. They only have i5s. And then one of the employees tells me like, oh, well, I don't know if you know this, but stores don't sell i7s. You have to buy them online. So it doesn't matter where you go. So I'm like, ah, on my way home, I'm going to stop by another store. And I stop there. They're like, yeah, you have to buy i7s online. So like, no matter what you do, sometimes you just have to get that stuff online, even though like you want to buy or local or whatever. I mean, not that Apple's local, but you just want it that day. Yep. There is no ethical consumption under capitalism. We all know that. <laughs> what are you going to do? All right. Speaking of capitalism, uh, Rudy Summers, thanks for the donation. <laughs> um, I, I recognize that name. I think Rudy Summers also bought some cards for me this week. I, I cracked some boxes of Commander Legends. I'm pretty sure he was one of the, the, the happy customers to buy one. Um, I'm not going to take a crack at this next name. Uh, who wants this? Phil. Um, thank you very much to Hampus G., for donating to the podcast and they said thank you so much for all the fantastic discussion you've quickly become my favorite podcast and you've grown my interest in legacy considerably also appreciate your consideration for non-binary folk glad i used they in the way you address people online keep up the good work yep i just like to clarify it's g-n-e-j-s-e which is i'm not making fun of their name like uh that that's cool, but uh, the English language does not pronounce those letters in that order, so I'm just not going to try. Uh, but I'm going to butcher it and guess that it's like Guinness. Guinness, Guinnessy. Uh, I, I, you tricked me into doing it. I wasn't going to do it. Thank you, Boom. thank you, Hampus, for the donation and the the kind words. Uh, we we do appreciate it. All right, I guess I'll read the next one. This is feedback. Thanks for the shout out. I was pleased to hear a discussion of the Aquabats even including my favorite fun fact about them, that Travis Barker was one of the original members. This is one of the few methods I have of discussing the Aquabats beyond screaming, hey, homies, and shouting about luck dragons from Winged Hussar on Reddit. So uh, potentially exciting news. Um, I, I went down a rabbit hole. I discovered Cameo.com. I don't know if it's new or if I just found it, but it's basically a bunch of like mid-level celebrities who you can pay whatever they, they choose and they'll give you a cameo. They'll like do a little video for you or something. And MC Bat Commander is only $65. So <laughs> maybe maybe donations to the, the cast this week specify that they're to get MC Bat Commander to do our intro. Uh, if we get $65, I'll get them. <laughs> so uh, I do know about Cameo mostly through the Scrubs podcast because they talk about how the Todd is on Cameo. And so I went to the Todd's cameo and it's raunchy. It's like $40 and he just talks very dirty over cameo. And I felt guilt. Like this person was like on network television and now they're just saying things that I would be ashamed of being recorded for $40. 
Um, <laughs> I don't know. That, that is a weird. That's website. probably like such a huge money maker, though. Like you, you do a thirty second snippet. You know, you record forty of those in an hour or something like that. That adds up real fucking quick. Yeah, it, it's really strange if you browse through it because, like, some of them are. It's like mankind, like Mick Foley from WWE wrestling. He's like forty five bucks, and, and and then it's like. Someone you've never heard of in your life, $280. And it's like, who are you? And just scrolling through it, the number of who are you's is is shocking. It's like, were you, were you like a corpse on Law and Order in 1995? And now you think someone's going to pay $40 for you to, to give a cameo? Like, what the fuck is this? Maybe uh, I should get he, on there. Like uh, YouTube personality, Brian Bosch and Roll Koval. Uh, I'll do a cameo for 40 bucks. Just let me know. DM me. I would give you $1 to say that the Epic Storm is the greatest legacy deck. I mean, I, I am a huge sellout. Like, I don't have to believe it, right? I just get your dollar. Yeah. I just want a recording of it. The Epic Storm is the greatest legacy deck. You can PayPal you me. You heard it here first, folks. You can PayPal me after, the, after we're done <laughs> recording. Uh, going back to Cameo for a second, Keith Buckley, the singer of Every Time I Die, Buffalo, New York. Someone hacked uh their paypal for their cameo and got away with like a few thousand dollars so like people do pay for that stuff yeah i mean it they're, they're like everyone has like some celebrity that they're just like weirdly obsessed with who's lar- largely irrelevant like some important like chord from their childhood memories or something like i dated a girl who just lost her mind whenever shaggy music started playing you remember shaggy I do. Yeah, I I actually saw Shaggy live one time. That was the first concert I ever went to. Uh, he was opening for Sugar Ray. Uh, I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was the first concert I ever went to. Uh, Mandy Moore was the first act. Then C Note. Then Shaggy. Then Duran Duran. And then Sugar Ray was top billing. So uh, quite a spread there. But uh, yeah, yeah, like uh, this girl. I I bet she would if Shaggy was on cameo for like. Under a hundred dollars, I bet she would fire it off a couple times a year, honestly. So I can see this being a thing. All right, our next one comes from Method Belly on Reddit, who says, "Great episode as always. Deep episode on Jedi mind tricks when." So the thing about a lot of those situations is that a lot of the best Jedi mind trick moments where you just, like, totally convince your opponent to do exactly what you want are so incredibly situational and require, like, that you've really watched an entire game unfold to understand that it's hard to do that in an audio-only moment. Uh, Audio-only format, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, being really good at just the fundamentals of Magic the Gathering, then also really understanding the rules to Magic the Gathering, and then also being able to read your opponent in a game of Magic the Gathering. And then all of those, being good at all of those things, and then the stars cross in the correct way that you can cash in on all three of those things in some like mildly beneficial way. It It's, it's like getting struck by lightning. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, in general, like, like we, we can talk about, like, strategy, like, working the game to a point where your opponent has to, like, make this play that you're ready for, which is one thing. But, like, to just, like, 
say a word in a certain way that makes them get do a bad block and leaves them dead on board like that that's once in a lifetime so uh i I don't have enough to say about that for an episode what if like the word was like pumpernickel and all of a sudden your opponent just like loses focus and they're like yeah take it all no blocks if i had that in my holster i would not release it on the podcast that that's like top tier patreon like a hundred dollar patreon membership i'll tell you my my secret pumpernickel word that collapses my opponent's brain <laughs> i only had right. an opponent collapse away from our match one time and it was it was scary it was not funny <laughs> he was okay all right phil you should probably read the next one yeah the final one's for me um it's from alexander vincent on twitter and they say, thanks for the reply on your NDNT, Thraben. You definitely got to respect practicing what you preach regarding putting the reps in. For the record, I'm totally on team Luminarch Aspirant. Flexed bicep emoji. Uh, yeah, so I'm currently playing Luminarch Aspirant in Historic and Legacy and Modern and Vintage. So that pretty much sums up my thoughts on the card. I actually faced the Historic deck that you talked about, the uh, the Snake aspirant deck at first i was like what the fuck is my opponent playing like i don't know what's going on here and then they played the snake and i was like oh this is the deck phil is talking about and i just knew how to beat them so thank you yeah it's uh essentially there's a what there's winding constrictor which whenever you put a plus one plus one counter on something you get another one and then there's a green white version of it that does the same thing and so you just like crap plus one plus one counters absolutely everywhere and just try to create a creature that's much larger than what your opponent can deal with it's cool i remember my mind being blown at the the last star city invitational that occurred before covid shut everything down uh i was it was the one with uh pioneer pioneer was brand new and i played against steve mann in round two it was a round two feature match and he had a uh a winding constrictor the the snake that phil was talking about and he played uh the the Hydra, like the green, green X Hydra, that when it arrives, double its counters or fight something. And he, he paid three mana for this thing. Uh, it arrived as a 2-2 two, two, and then doubled to a 5-5. Five, five. And I was like, oh my god, it happens twice. <laughs> and it's just like, my brain melted. <clears throat> but like, it was in real life. It wasn't Magic Online where you see like the triggers hit the stack. He just like put, paid three mana and put it into play with five counters on it. And I was like, whoa, fella. <laughs> and, it, and he was like, no, it, it, it's real. So super sweet stuff happens with those sort of decks. All right, Phil, why don't you tell us a little bit about your magic updates? All right. Uh, I'll try to keep this section short because, you know, we've been rambling on about a cheese stick pizza crust for a while. Why bother? Um, We're committed at this point. We're not talking about magic this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, un- until we hit... Oh, never mind. We're at, like, the 38-minute mark. Okay. I was we're, about to say, like, until we hit about the 30-minute mark, I'm not worried at all. We're into magic now. These are the magic updates. Okay. We're, we're on target. Then. All right. Um. So I've been actively trying to do a little bit better on the YouTube end. So I taught myself how to make thumbnails last week and some basic, like, image editing stuff. Um. So that was cool. So for those of you who are watching my video content... It will now be a little easier to tell the videos apart. It's not just the same stock image every time. Um, I'm also really excited to play some vintage. Um, one of my viewers sent me an email and essentially said, Hey, I have a set of Hull Breachers and Opposition Agents. If you want to borrow them for vintage, you can. And I was like, yes, yes, please. 
So I'm going to try to put together some crazy three to five color Hate Bears deck that plays four of both of those and uh, ruin some blue players while losing to shops. That sounds about right. Um, Esper Hate Legends uh, was a deck that emerged uh, when Lavinia was printed. Uh, like you have, uh, there, there's like Lavinia, Thalia, Kamal, or Kambal, uh, not Kamal. That card is much worse than Kambal. Uh, Campbell and now uh, Hallbreed, your opposition agent. Like uh, at, in the the VSL season, I was on. Uh, Saffron Olive played Esper Hate Legends, which was kind of a tilt because I was in the middle of brewing it for my week, but his week was before mine. So I was like, "All right, fuck it, I'll play lands." <laughs> but but yeah, uh, some lists are out there. Some older ones, if you want to, some framework. Yeah, that's actually super helpful. Because I started putting together the mana base, and then I realized, like, oh, this is so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Because it's not really tribal. It's no. it's not even as close to tribal as you would think, but you still probably want to be playing Cavern of Souls. But do you play, like, the the other, like, human sort of lands? Like, what is it? Uncharted territory? Unclaimed territory? Yeah. Unclaimed. Yeah, like Unclaimed the, territory. Enough of those things I just said are humans that it cavern's probably worth it and then you get like ancient ziggurat which is basically a free roll but yeah i'm running at, that beyond that it's like woo, woo, woo. yeah but like there's things like spirit of the labyrinth <laughs> that are obviously going to be auto includes in the deck right. too that are not humans so i don't know i think i'm going to put together a youtube video and say like here's roughly my plan how should i fix this before i run it on stream yeah that makes sense uh having like non-play content is pretty interesting it's something i've considered like brewing and tuning just turning on the camera like here's here are the problems here's why here's the numbers this is how many black sources i need like i think that like uh that's what matt sperling's channel is uh magic for advanced players or i think that's what it's called and that's the kind of thing he does and it's a lot more valuable to a certain group than just watching more magic get played I wasn't going to talk about this on the podcast because I'm still in process of figuring it out, but I want to start a video series where like once a week I do like a five minute theory video of some kind. And the first one I'm thinking about is when is the bad attack a good attack? And just kind of talk about some of the situations where like making an attack that is obviously bad ends up being like quite very good for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, like. Uh, I, I imagine bluffing is part of that conversation then also just like chump attacking to get damage through uh, like yeah uh, that could be a cool video uh, I I will warn you depending on how much production quality you want to put into this my uh, wizard school series which uh, are I, I have one on cantrips one on brainstorm specifically and one on wasteland so far and they're all between seven and ten minutes long and they're probably have eight to ten hours of work into them like back end stuff because uh, I, I set up like a like a PowerPoint that I would talk over and it had uh, I animated the PowerPoint. So you see like the brainstorm cards moving around and like all that stuff. And holy shit, that's so much more work for a 10 minute video than, than a two hours of me actually playing Magic. Yeah, I, I, I understand what I'm getting myself into. I <laughs> do right. that bullshit for teaching every day. Right, right. Yeah, you got that fluency up. All right, Ryan, so I guess I'll go next. Uh, I streamed twice this week. Uh, so if you want to check those out, they're on YouTube. One of them is with a traditional uh, 10.8 TES. The other is with no Rite of Flame, the Epic Storm. 
Once again, they're both on YouTube, as well as a Legacy Challenge Top 8. You can also go there and check that out. We had a huge guest uh, for Inferno Tutoring, Julian Carr of League of Legends fame. Uh, from what I understand, Julian is a shoutcaster, uh, pretty famous. So if you're interested in Julian's Epic Storm answers, uh, make sure to go read that. Julian apparently is a huge Legacy fan, which I found out, and loves the Epic Storm, which uh, kind of cool, I guess. And then other than that, it's just like Pro Tour prep. Like Phil, I dived pretty deep into Historic the last few weeks. And I finished uh, number eight overall in the season rankings, which is pretty cool for someone that doesn't actually play that much arena. So I understand that like the leaderboard doesn't mean anything. But to me, for someone that like I, I just got into arena in the last two months, like I don't know, it was a little bit of an accomplishment. Like I don't think it's like anything to brag about, but like as a personal goal, it felt cool. And uh, I just want to thank Jarvis U. Jarvis is like pretty much the only one that's been giving me constructive advice for the pro tour. Uh, I like made a Twitter post about like, Hey, looking for teammates. And like, I didn't really get anything that that was concrete or anyone that was actually looking to help me. And Jarvis has given me some pretty good advice. So thank you, Jarvis. All right, Brian, what about on your end? Uh, so I've also been busy working on YouTube. Uh, two of the last four videos I've posted broke 5,000 views, which is not a number that's been remotely realistic in the past. Uh, it started with the uh, the 5 I put up with Tom Hep's Rainbow Depths. I, I just like bought Depths cold, uh, never played it before in 5 to League easily. And uh, that is, something went right. I got into the algorithm stream and uh, it got carried and 5,000 views for a channel with uh, 1,800 subscribers is is a pretty big deal. Uh, and then uh, a couple days later, I played Mono Blue Hull Breacher, the, the control deck that uh, Whiteface's Callum Smith has been working on. And uh, that one also broke 5K views. That one actually has even more views than the Depths League, despite being newer. So uh, I've done something to tap into the right uh, algorithms, putting me in front of more eyes and I'm getting more clicks. So that's pretty exciting. And uh, I have never really looked into how the algorithm works before. Like after trying to make it as a streamer and just being obsessed with Twitch metrics and Twitch algorithms and stuff and just like failing constantly because Twitch is just absolutely cutthroat. I moved to YouTube just to chill. Like I don't need a schedule. I don't owe anything to anyone. I'll just record a video when I want. When I don't want, I won't. No big deal. That was my my outlet to get out of streaming. And I specifically didn't look at all the nuts and bolts stuff, but now I think I'm going to for YouTube because like, uh, I know momentum is part of the algorithm, like, uh, keep posting videos, posting regularly. Like they want people who are creating content. So I, I don't think I'm going to be lounging again. Like sometimes I'll just take a week off. I'll post like three videos, then do nothing for a week. And, uh, that is important for my mental health, but also right now I'm feeling pretty good and I don't have work until next year. So it's the time to go for it. 5k is pretty impressive. Uh, for those of you listening that might not know, like my best video on YouTube has 2,800 views. So Brian is absolutely crushing it right now. I just don't want anyone to think that like 5k is like, whatever it's like, fine. Like 5k is pretty impressive for if you're not on like the pleasant Kenobi level, like you should be pretty happy with 5k. Especially for a legacy video. Like, there's a small market there. 
Yeah, and and my videos are long, so I think uh, I'm getting like 2.8 views per unique person or something. Like nobody sits and watches my videos, one shots them because they're like frequently an hour and a half to two hours long. Even on double speed, that's a long video. But uh, I appreciate the people who come back and are actually interested and and see more because I know the algorithm cares about that too. Like how long do you sit there? Do you come back? Do you click another video when you're done with my first one? Like that, all of that stuff helps keep me in front of fresh eyes. Um, and uh, it, 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 it is like pretty exciting to, to get a little bit of traction. And I've joked on the podcast before that I make like you know, 15 bucks a month or something on YouTube. Like it, it, it costs me money to be a YouTube content creator. And while that is still true, when you break into the 5k range, it starts to feel like a reasonable hourly rate. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm making like 10 bucks an hour on, on the work I'm putting in now. Like that, that's like a, a job at Blockbuster when I was in high school. So <laughs> count it. Uh, I, I've worked for less. So uh, did, did you rewind the tapes, though? Uh, no, I, I never got the Blockbuster job. That was like the, the sought after one because they paid 10 an hour. Or I think one of my friends was a manager at Blockbuster making 10 an hour and like when you're 16 that's like oh my god like you're set for life like so yeah i i'm approaching that blockbuster manager salary with with, with a couple (laughs) of videos here uh so on the topic of uh content creation brian gottlieb uh, of uh star city commentary and also uh arena deckless podcast fame uh formerly known as Game Podcast. Uh he he made a tweet this week that was like uh there are there's a lot of there are there's a ton of magic content creators and not a ton of magic content consumers. And why is that? And then it prompted like uh, a conversation between a lot of people of like how why is magic viewership so low? What can be done about it? And like uh what but let's use this as our first thing to talk about today. Like, what what do you guys think? We are all content creators, obviously. We're here creating content. I think that you framed uh, that quote a lot nicer than what the actual tweet was. Uh, it was something along the lines of, like, there's so many people, or there's so many content creators, but no one consuming content. And it was, it was like, almost in a, at least the way that I read it, it was uh, more of a snarky way. Here, I'll, I'll and... pull up the actual tweet. At least the way that I read it, it came off as like almost like a dig. Like there's so many bad people creating magic content and magic is one of those games. Like there's just not a lot of people that play magic compared to large games, but it does feel like sometimes there's a lot of content producers, but it's also a way to improve your game. Like you might not be trying to teach someone, but like if you're just recording your gameplay and, you know, Phil watches my game and he's like, actually, you could have done this, this and this better. That's a way of getting better. Like not everyone is out there trying to use it as a tutorial. So like some people are just doing it for the sake of, you know, fun or something along those lines. There's different reasons that everyone does content creation. So I have the tweet in front of me and I think you read it. I think you brought something to reading it that wasn't there because it doesn't seem that rude to me. It's uh, someone very wise once said something to the effect of why does magic have so many content creators when there are so few content consumers? And I think about that shit literally every day. Okay. I, I, I'm not reading any implications that like get out of the kiddie pool. Like you don't belong here. <laughs> like I, I'm not hearing any of that. Uh, 
And I, I've listened to a lot of uh, game podcasts and arena deck lists, and I don't think Brian is the type of person who would tweet something like passive aggressive like that. It, it's just he is a content creator and wonders is wondering about his own hustle here, like we all do. So I think uh, maybe I'm wrong when I mentioned this, but there's someone that said, and I thought, I think it was Phil, maybe, I don't know, I'm getting old, my brain's mush. That was like, you know, there's so much legacy content out there that I can only consume. Uh, actually, it was a Twitter post that I, uh, as a someone interested in legacy, that I can only consume maybe 30% of it. But if you, someone that's out there even consuming 30% of legacy content, that's a lot of legacy content. And I don't think anyone has the expectations that like legacy uh, players should consume 100% of the content. Like if you're consuming 10%, I still think that's quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I don't consume a lot of content. Uh, like I, I'm going to be honest, like the time that I would use consuming content, I'm making it. So there's not a lot left over for me. Uh, like maybe in the background at work, I'll put on like coverage. If there's live coverage, uh, like live coverage of tournaments that I care about are about the only magic content I consume. Also, when I'm driving, I listen to podcasts. Uh, I'm a big podcast person. When I work, I like listening to other podcasts, so I'll do that. But I don't even hit all of them. Like I'll hit, I'll listen to like one in every three leaving a legacies, for example, or like every other uh, everyday eternal. Not that I think that they're not worth listening to every episode. It's just like I'm busy and finding time's difficult. Yeah, and it's not like music in the background. Like I, I, when like Callum is doing his like breakdown of Commander Legends or something, I want to listen to that because that's valuable to me. Like that is an opinion I value. And if I'm like also like running numbers at my desk at work, and then like like I'm either messing up the numbers or I'm not listening to Callum, and, and it's got to be one or the other. Yeah, I listened to like maybe a dozen episodes of limited resources over the past week. And there were a couple of times where I was like trying to listen to them while doing something else. And then I'm like, no, no, this is dense enough that I need to stop and focus on one of these two things right now. Um, yeah, a lot of the magic content is just like not good background because you like you miss out on some of the nuance or like it's going deep enough into theory or matchup analysis or something that, you know, it's an all hands on deck sort of thing. So before we like transition off, I just want to ask you too. like, we might not even be transitioning off. I just want to get this question out there. Do you think that there are too many content creators in magic for the amount of people that play? I'm, I'm going to say no. Uh, I, I, I see Phil winding up for an answer, but uh, my, my answer is just hard. No, um, I, I, I guess it depends on what you want. Like, I don't think it hurts anyone if just somebody wants to record their magic there and and put it on YouTube, I, I don't think that hurts anyone. Uh, I I don't think there are enough consumers to support very many full time content careers, like uh, Luis Scott Vargas, Marshall Sutcliffe, like Jerry Thompson, like those guys hit the jackpot. Uh, they were in the right place, right time, with the right skill set, and I, there are not many spots for them left. Um, like Tolarian Community College, Pleasant Kenobi, like like those guys are are working hard and they're doing something special, and uh, there are not there's not room for many of them, but for like the three of us who just like we're gonna play anyway, we might as well record it and have fun and maybe teach someone something. Then uh, I think there's infinite room for that. <laughs> 
Yeah. I would I would spin my answer a little bit. I think there's too many people who think they can do content creation and they don't really sit down to think about how much work really goes into it and they they don't try to actively improve it in the ways that they they should. And a lot of those people end up just feeling like absolute hor- absolutely horrible about trying because, you know, they, they stream to literally zero people while on Twitch. So I think there's a lot of people who like like the sexy idea of being a content producer, but they aren't quite ready to face the harsh reality of like what that means when you're getting started. Because it is not easy. Yeah, I I I think that if anyone is hurt by the the glut of content creators, it's the people who think they're going to get rich and famous doing it. Uh, just uh, I I will be honest. When I started streaming, when I started making content, it was actually because Artifact was coming the uh, the Richard Garfield uh, Dota card game, which died in months after launch, unfortunately. But like. I saw that as a new game. I was coming off my uh, uh, Star City Envy win. I had just become Vintage Champ. It was like I have something of a magic name, like some traction in in that card game community. Maybe I can pivot that into being an early content creator for Artifact. Like I'll be the one there on the ground floor getting it done. And uh, like that was my original path into content creation. Like. Like, I'm not entering a saturated market. I want to be the market day one. And I was. But that game just fucking died. Uh, so <laughs> that didn't work out. And there was a lot of, like, pain that came with that. Like, I was streaming Artifact to, like, 30 people. And then 20. And then 5. And then 0. And then I was the only one streaming Artifact. <laughs> like, you go into, like, the Twitch page. And there is only one person streaming Artifact. And there's still only three viewers. And it's like, okay, uh, this is dead, but I kind of liked doing some of this. How do I, like, I'll just have fun doing magic. Uh, I, I, I practiced streaming playing magic while I was waiting for Artifact to release. And that got much more traction, obviously, than Artifact ever did. And then I, I sort of limped back to my roots. And I, I did have those illusions of like, I've never streamed before in my life, but these big time streamers they're making like 70 grand a month like i could be one of them what do they have that i don't it's like well turns out a lot for me charisma uh (laughs) (laughs) uh but going back to the idea that a lot of people think that it's really sexy the epicstorm.com launched in early 2015 so it's been like five and a half years i've had a number of people want to join the team or did join the team realized how much work it was and then just like disappeared into not doing content creation because they're just like, yeah, I like the idea of my name being out there. You know, like I'm on this team, I'm on the Epic storm, I'm making articles and videos and stuff. And then they're like, you know, this is like 10 hours a month. I don't really want to spend 10 hours of my month doing this. And which is fine if like, that's what you decide. But I don't think a lot of the people get that. Like, I spend way more than 10 hours a month updating the Epic Storm and doing everything that I do. I might spend 10 hours a week. Uh, Probably that's a low number. Like I actually put a lot of effort into what I do. So to me, it's just like kind of shocking that some people don't quite get that. Like 
in the last like two months with all the uh, old tournament reports I brought over, I'm probably closer to a hundred hours in the last month. Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We working. just kind of went like deep dive into content creation in our intro. <laughs> Are we still in the intro? No, no, no. We're talking about magic now. We're well past the intro. That's all right. How much can we possibly say about Hall Breacher anyway? It's okay to fill this uh, fill this episode. With it's it, it's okay. We we've we've got like an hour to cover all our points on Hall Breacher. But it just goes back to what Brian was saying. A five minute video took him ten hours. Like people don't get that sometimes, and they're just like, "Yeah, I can make a video, whatever." Yeah, and, and like when I was streaming too, like even like the things you don't think about, maybe you did think about them, but you didn't think about them enough. Like your your uh, your background, like your what your v- viewer actually sees, like your overlay, like all of that stuff. There's a ton of work. Either you can buy one that's pre-canned, but that costs money, or you have to learn how to like be a graphics designer, basically, and if you have those skills, that's cool, but I don't. Like, if you go back on my YouTube channel and pull up my my dumped stream VODs, like, you will see, like, bare bones. Like, there's just, like, a my face over a black background, the moto screen, and, like, a chat box, and, like, some random shit popping up. Like, some gifts of, like, a panda rolling down a hill that I found that I thought was funny for new followers. And, like, it, there's there's nothing cohesive about it. Like, when you look at, like, like my old videos compared to like Julian's streams. Like Julian has like his whole like eight bit like uh thing that he does. He has sound effects and like f- shit that flashes over the screen and music that plays. Like like when when he starts a glimpse chain, it like like the ride of the Valkyrie starts playing. It's like this is all awesome, and I I know that he puts in so much work behind the scenes that we never see, and I am not. I either not willing or not capable, maybe both of doing that. <laughs> so uh, I will never be a streamer uh, at that at his level. The hours that Julian puts in while the Legacy Premier League is going on, it, it's insane. Like some of those conversations I've had with him about like the number of hours of sleep he's getting and like the condition he's in when he goes to work after like staying up for what is like late in American time. And what is just like wee hours of the uh, the morning for him, like it is dedication. Yeah, he so, he recorded my uh, my vintage uh, top eight and top four matches from Eternal Weekend. Like uh, he he like messaged me one night on Facebook, and it was like probably eight forty five nine o'clock my time, and he's six hours ahead of me in Germany. And like he he was like, uh, I. I I want you to like open up your replays in Modo and just run them. I'll record the screen in Discord and like I'll edit it so it like runs and it doesn't look like a it looks like it's happening live and like then we'll add commentary over it and like it was like three a.m. his time and like I it was like nine o'clock my time and I was kind of thinking like this sounds cool but like I'm kind of settled down for the night like maybe tomorrow and he's like how about in the next thirty minutes it's like oh it's like that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, happy to help, yes. Uh, if you're up at 3 a.m. trying to cram all this, like, cover three days of vintage tournaments in a night, like, in the wee hours, like, I, I can uh, I can get up off the couch and give you the, the footage you need. 
So this goes back to uh, leg- Legacy Premier League and everything that goes into that. And there's like some other smaller ones that have happened. It drives me nuts. Absolutely crazy knowing the effort that is put into these so that like someone will get knocked out early and then they'll start streaming against it. Not like in a spiteful way, but they're like, yeah, I've been eliminated. I guess I'm going to stream now. And then before you know it, by the end of the tournament, you have five or six people streaming against something someone's put $200 into. And to me, that's just like super rude. And I've seen it happen multiple times now. So if you get invited to one of these things and then you're eliminated, don't stream against it. It's just like super rude. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, like all of those, because they try to accommodate time zones, are always just a nightmare to the East Coast, which which is fine. We get a lot of good breaks uh, as far as timing of events goes. Uh, but uh, like when I was in the VSL, it was like nap all day, wake up at night, pound caffeine and just like be awake. And when it, when it was an off week for me, I would try to be active in the chat, like promote the thing. But it's like. We're one and a half matches in. It's 1130 at night. I just fall asleep with my iPad in my hand. <laughs> it's like, uh, I, at least they're still getting my viewership because the iPad's still running as I, I drool on it. Brian uh, sees that Steve Menendian opens up Notepad instantly falls asleep. Oh, yeah, that that's easy. <laughs> uh, so I, I, we're... We're deep enough on tangents at this point. I'll tell another story. So I played against Steve Menendian in the VSL and I I played Survival of the Fittest and I had this insane hand. It was like a uh, bizarre Black Lotus, Mox Emerald, uh, Hollow One, Basking Root Wall of Survival or something. That might have been eight cards. I don't know. It was something like that. It was like the Nutter Butters. And I was on the play and uh, it, it was like... Even if he forces my survival, this hand is still goes the fuck off. And like, uh, I had I had pulled up Notepad off screen. I was gonna just like drag Notepad onto the screen and just type like, like LOL wham 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 or like something like like all caps <laughs> just like just like Vengevine 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 Vengevine. It's just like something trolly for for the group. And then Smenon forced my Lotus, and I was like. God damn it. This actually collapses this nut hand. <laughs> like now I could just like activate Bazaar and pass the turn for the most part. And I don't get any wrench vines. And yeah, it, it was it was very disappointing on me, but nobody ever knew that happened except me. <laughs> <laughs> I was ready. Oh, that was worth it. All right. Should we get into the uh actual topic of this podcast an hour and five minutes in? Okay, so now, after all of that, we're actually going to go into our primary topic of tonight, which is kind of everything Hole Breacher and related to it. Although, oddly, we're not going to start with the little merfolk itself. We're going to start with kind of the implications of this set and the secondary market on Magic Online. Over the past few years, um, and really in the past two years in particular, the supplementary products on Magic Online have resulted in some very, very expensive and hard-to-acquire cards. This set was very bad in particular because it had, like, a lot of Eternal playable cards, or at least cards that people wanted to be testing. It was enough that, like, the rental companies were having trouble getting them in, and people who were trying to buy the cards at literally any price could not find them. 
I would, Phil, you said supplemental sets. I don't even know if that's true. Uro was still like 65 tickets in that for a very long time. It was like 80, 85 before it was banned in other formats. So I think it's just like chase cards in general, like season pyromancer. I know that one's from modern horizons, but that's still 40 tickets for a card that barely sees any play. Are you serious? Yeah, I just sold one. I opened it out of a chest. 40 tickets. Huh. So, I, like, I wrote down a couple of examples that I was going to talk about um, in a bit. I'm just going to bring them up now. So, Force of Negation from Modern Horizons is still 79 ticks. And Allosaurus Shepherd from Jumpstart is 56 ticks. Yeah, and I just want to say on Allosaurus Shepherd, there are not that many people playing elves in Legacy on Magic Online. And there never have been. Like, it, it, it is, it's been, like, historically one of the cheaper decks, I guess. But, like, it doesn't have a huge loyal following. It's not, like, Rug Delver. Like, who is, who needs 4X Allosaurus Shepherd? How many people need that in the quantity that forces this 56-ticket price tag? And when it dropped, it was, like, over 100, and people were willing to pay it, and they didn't exist. Like that, it was just like absurd. I, I guess this opens a a blind spot on my information. Are people playing Commander on Magic Online? Like I know it's supported, but like, is there? They actually... just added like a league, not maybe not a league, but like a. I guess it's a league for Commander. But that said, uh, Jeweled Lotus started at forty tickets. It's now below twenty. It's at like eighteen and a half right now because like the there isn't a need for jeweled lotus like you get your one and then you don't need any more so for to answer your question i don't think commanders are driving prices on magic the gathering online at least not yet it could be in a few months because they just added in these leagues like last week but i don't think it's made an impact yet yeah i i definitely noticed the jeweled lotus because i've been following the the online prices for the last week and a half because uh, obviously i'm interested in acquiring the cards but then I, I busted two boxes of the set in real life. And the price, like Jeweled Lotus IRL. So uh, Jeweled, I actually have it up right now. Uh, Jeweled Lotus, 21 tickets on Magic Online and dropping $77.87. So $78 in real life and rising. Like that's, so I think that's a good indicator of whether or not Commander is driving prices on Moto or not, because... Like, why would the purely Commander card... Like, Jeweled Lotus does not have text outside of Commander, and it's just dropping. But at the same time, it, like you said, it's still a 22-ticket card, or 21-ticket card and change, and you only need one. It's not like in real life where you need... You might need one for each of your Commander decks. Like, you literally need one, and it's only in that format. So... Uh, I don't know what that means. I'm not an expert in this, but did it's... you do any of the Commander Legends drafts? Oh my god! Don't remind me. Yes, <laughs> did you? I did a lot of them, but I never actually played one. I saw a Michael Ellington Noble play one, and Mike's board state it was wild. Like they actually split it into four. Like your three opponents are yeah. on top. If there was more than five permanents on the battlefield, good luck. Like I don't know how you would tell anything apart because it's so small. Yeah, so I, I joined the first one. I figured, like, uh, historically, like, I, I'm pretty solid at draft, so uh, I will invest, like, the, the 30 tickets up front or whatever to join a Modern Horizons draft, because I, I think that, you know, between redrafts and 
uh, winning and opening cards, it's worth it. So I, I jumped into the the queue, not quite understanding what it was. Like I knew it was multiplayer, but I I, I will be honest, it did not occur to me consciously that it would be we'd be building commander decks. <laughs> so so uh I, I figured it out pretty quick and then i was like oh yeah that makes a sense obviously like i i did know that somewhere in the back of my brain but it, it was not fresh in this moment and so uh we're building commander decks and then my question was like how many cards do i have to put in this deck and i'm glad i looked it up because it turns out it's 60 or else i would have been building a 40 card deck during draft the whole time and then i I, I drafted like to build a good deck. I was not just rare drafting. I wanted to experience this. I, I spent a lot of time tuning my deck to the si- perfect 60 cards that I was happy with. Uh, I even made this really disciplined decision of I had opened the the mythic rare Akroma. And I had also opened some like uh, cleric legend, an uncommon cleric legend uh, that puts plus one plus one counters on your creatures when it comes into play. And when creatures with counters on them dies, you get spirits. And I made the disciplined decision to make that com- my commander instead of a chroma because it, it just worked better with the deck. And I was really proud of all of those little decision-making things. And then I joined the queue and it like it took probably like four and a half minutes to get around the first turn cycle of just like everyone goes land, go, land, go, land, go, land, go. That took about four and a half minutes because all four players need to click through all of the priority stops they have. And... Like after that first turn, I was like, this is kind of miserable. What am I, what am I playing for? Like, uh, I, I think I can win if it's a pile of commander legends packs. I'll, 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 I'll keep playing. I'll, I'll put up with this. And then I looked it up and you're playing for play points and friendly trophies. There are no packs involved. It's, and if you get, so, uh, I'm trying to figure out where to start with this because it's a fucking mess. But so first of all, I guess I'll start with, Nobody wins. There is no winner. When you lose, <laughs> like when you leave the queue, you vote for the player who you you thought was had was the most fun or you liked the most. And it's like, what does that mean? Like, are they going to vote against me because I killed them? Like, I, I joined this queue to kill people. I built my deck to kill people. So that that turned me off. And then it's like, okay, let's say I'm super friendly in chat. I play like group hug. I make the funny play instead of the good play most of the time. Like I I game this. What am I playing for? It turns out you have to play in three pods. It's not even one four person pod. You need to play three four person pods. And at the end, if all nine of your opponents voted for you as a lots of fun, you get 300 play points and it costs 200 to join the queue. So we're playing for like, this is, hours and hours of your life oh my god just like staring at other stuff happening and trying to figure out what tiny shit is happening on the screen i after reading what the prizes were i just conceded on turn three of my pod and i like and it made me vote for who i thought was the best so it was like i so i've seen everyone make their land drops and one of my opponents actually assembled like i guess there's I don't know if they're like sisters or cousins or lesbian lovers or what, but there's like a green wolf lady and a red wolf lady who are partner legends. And somebody actually drafted both and built a, a deck around them. And I, I remember thinking that was cool. So I gave them my vote just based on who their commanders were. But like, not only that, but like I quit 
And in the chat, immediately people are like, question mark, question mark, question mark. Like, like, where are you going? What? What happened? And I'm just like, I don't want to engage with this. So I left thinking it would be done. But I continued getting the little moto pop-up notification of like, like person sent you a message, person sent you a message, person sent you a message, but you can't click on that and reopen the game because you've left it. So I just like for the next hour and a half got pop-up messages anytime someone left in that game, talked in the chat and oh my God, what a horrible experience that was. <laughs> so I my TLDR of this that I wrote in the show notes was just miserable for everyone involved. You have the people who are just rare drafting the set to try to find these chase cards and sell them or get them for legacy or vintage. You have the commander players who are like trying to play this format and have fun with it. And then like everyone is rare drafting or dropping and not actually playing matches. It's yeah. it's a mess. Yeah, like luckily it's not pod play. Like if you drop, uh, it'll pull from the pool of people still in the league to create a four-person queue like you you don't ruin the experience of everyone around you by rare drafting and dropping except you make their decks worse because you're just rare drafting and dropping and after my my one mistake trying to play and then seeing the prices of the cards i did do a number of rare draft and drop strats and i i never hit a banger um i think i was converting play points into ticks at like a, a 50 to 70 percent rate like 200 uh play points to join is, is effectively $20 and I would be getting like 11 to $14 worth of cards out of a draft, which like if you have a lot of play points is, is fine, but that's not an experience I want to have. <laughs> that sucks. I did a lot of that. I had 2,500 play points and I'm like, I need hull breachers for vintage. I'm going to do this. I got to literal zero play points without getting a hull breacher. Oh my God. And then I was like, I'm going to do a couple with tickets and then I'm going to stop. So the first one I did with tickets, I hit a hull breacher and I was like, yes, deserved. And I was like, okay, I'll do a couple more. And I'm like, I am literally just lighting tickets on fire. Because like the first couple of days, you were right that like you would get, you know, 50 to 70%. Towards the end, like three days later, four days later, I was get, like entering with 20 tickets and getting like three or four back for my pool. And I was rare drafting. I was like, what am I doing? Like, so I had a pretty stocked account and now I'm like bare bones. Uh, like I sold some stuff so I could enter a challenge this weekend. <laughs> so like I, I just wasted. Yeah, it was a terrible idea. I should have just outright bought the whole breachers in the beginning and not have like I should have accepted the $300 loss because that would have saved me money. Yeah, 2,500 uh, play points is $250 effectively. If you're if if the alternative is joining events with tickets, it's like a 1 to 10 ratio. It was terrible. Yeah, I, I also was in the, the mid-2000s of play points. And I stopped when I had like 1,200 left. I think I did five of these things. Uh, I, I hemorrhaged like $100 worth of play points, 1,000 play points. And it was... Honestly, if if it happened any quicker, I might have gone a little deeper. But the fact you have to sit there for th like 30 to 45 minutes and, and, and it's just to open three packs. Like you get your pack one, pick one. If there's not a Hall Breacher or Opposition Agent in it or a Jeweled Lotus, you're just sitting there for 10, 15 minutes while everyone drafts their deck. And then that one moment of, oh, yeah, I get to do it again. And then you're sitting there and then you get to do it one more time. And if you miss, you've wasted 35 minutes and 20 bucks. I'm not going to call them out on the podcast because I would like to pretend I'm a better person than that. 
but there was someone that was also clearly rare drafting like I was. I was in four different draft queues with them within like three or four hours. They did the same thing in every one. And like they're a known magic player where they would just let it run in the background without any making any pick and letting the timer run out and it auto selecting. I wanted to tweet at them calling them an asshole so badly because I'm like, you're wasting my time right now. Just like make your like don't join and then not make picks. Like if you're going to join, make your fucking picks quickly. Like otherwise you're wasting everyone's time. You were wasting your own time. It sounds like they they were smart about it. I mean, obviously, I agree. It's super douchey. But uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah, the, the whole experience was awful. Something, something, something. Think about how what you do impacts the community you're in. Something, something, <laughs> right. something. Anyway, all of this is to say that Hull Breachers are still above $100 and opposition... Not true. No? Not true. Yeah, they're Uh, they're down... I have the the set up on uh, Goldfish right now. It's... Hull Breacher is currently 58.25. It's down uh, 15 tickets since this morning. I bought one yesterday at 65. Yeah, I was thrilled. Yeah, so it it is dropping uh, kind of quickly at this point. So the trajectory, uh, I'll I'll fill you all in because I have that up too. It started at 18. Like it, it was born already kind of expensive. And I remember day one Jarvis tweeting like, I'm buying Hall Breachers at 18. And I was like, that sucker if he just waits a week. <laughs> but little do I know, uh, Jarvis was smart. So it started at 18. Just uh, over the next five days, it got up to 107.6. That was the peak. And then it dropped down to 85, back to 102, down to 96, back to 106. And now it's been steadily declining over the past uh, four days to its current place, which is uh, just under 60. So that's the that's the tra- trajectory we're talking about here. And like the... The thing I said about like Jarvis buying them for 18 on the first day, I should know better by now because I was the one that's like, LOL, these idiots paying 28 tickets for Ren and Six. Just give it a couple weeks. Like, you'll, it, yeah, a couple weeks later it was 110. And like, Uro, like 30 ticks on pre-release. Like, yeah, you suckers. It just shot straight up to 80 and has barely come down since. Like all of these... six is still like ninety five. It's yeah, a lot. It dipped when they banned it, but then like people remember it. It's actually a modern card. So uh I was not punished. Like I, I have the thought every time that a ban list is announced that like I could make the move, I could sell the thing, then I could rebuy it on Monday afternoon when it's at twenty ticks cheaper or whatever. And I never do. Like I just I prefer to just stay the course. I, I think over the years the amount of money that like I've gained when they don't ban the card versus I would have gained if they, when they do ban the card is pretty even. So I, my policy is I don't play that game, but I thought I got wrecked on Ren and Six, and I just like refused to sell them. It was like a tilt thing, like a sunk cost. I was just like, I own these things now. They're going to go down to five ticks, and I don't give a shit. Like <laughs> I I earn these. <laughs> like my entire Popper Premier League. Uh, prizes like i i got like 150 packs or something for the popper premier league and i spent all of that on ren and sixes like i just yeeted all of those packs bought ren and six and no other cards and, and, well, and but like it, it's crept back up so not since mad. we're since we are talking about the secondary market 
I don't know how much vintage is driving the price of Hullbreacher. It's doing it somewhat because a lot of vintage players online want three to four Hullbreachers. If it's restricted in vintage, not that I'm saying it should be, but if it ever happens, this is a card I see just plummeting. Like it's not like it's somewhat playable in legacy. Like I faced like the Urza echo deck that obviously has it. And like, I've run into like miracles with one or two copies and like snow with one or two copies, but it's not like a four of modern playable. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not, it's that... not legal in modern. Okay. Well that would explain why. Yeah. Uh, bad joke. Uh, but like, it's not like a format all-star, I guess is what I'm trying to say outside of vintage. Like legacy isn't playing a ton of it. So I don't see it retaining value if it's ever restricted in vintage. Yeah, uh, that that might be true. Um, and and online prices, because legacy and vintage are competitive formats online compared to just like uh, passing curiosities in real life. Uh, the the tabletop price of Hull Breacher is thirty dollars, and that that's like on the rise, kind of. Um, that. Like I, I bought what I needed to, uh, singles from Commander Legends. Like I, I, I like the the extended arts. Like I like that most playable cards have extended arts now. Like I, I'm just I'm into that. I, I'm I'm a casual. I like that. And so I, I bought like my full art Hall Breachers and full art Opposition Agents and the all the the blue and white courts. Like the cards I thought I might play, and I think I got all of it for like the price of one and a half Hall Breaches around Moto. yeah um at this point i would like to uh shout out white faces for lending out a metric shit ton of cards to a ton of different content creators uh including uh me and brian you borrowed cards as well right absolutely yeah yeah uh like uh, i tweeted last week like when hall breacher hit like 80 or whatever i was like well i was gonna record some hall breacher decks and right away, the legacy community just showed up uh, like uh, uh, Marcus Ewald and uh, Mark Voigt, or Vought, Voigt, Vought. Uh I came to game Pemmin, uh, baby, depending on where you're, you're looking at him, uh, GP legacy winner. Uh, they both showed up there. They each said, like, I have one Hall Breacher. Uh, so I was halfway there. And then uh, Whitefaces messaged me and he's just like, uh, I, I have four. And... I played on his four hall breachers for like two and a half days. I recorded a couple of videos. I think Phil borrowed them after that. Like I think Callum just propped up the entire week one legacy content creation game and big shout out to him and the legacy community at large. Like y'all show up when you need to. Yeah. And on, on that note, I know a lot of content creators are kind of thinking that they need like either to be sponsored or to have a rental account just because of how ridiculous some of these supplementary cards are in terms of their prices and difficulty of uh, acquiring them. Yeah. I mean, I sponsorship is something that I I just like forget exists a lot of the time. Like I have a a sponsor for paper cards, but it it has not occurred to me to just like message mana traders or whatever, because I know they sponsor a lot of people and it would be nice if I didn't have to worry about, Allosaurus Shepherds and Hall Breachers ruining my life. Yeah, I, I have no doubt you can pick up either a Mana Traders or Card Hoarder sponsorship. Yeah, we'll see. I'll, I'll pursue that. But like, uh, I, I'm at the point where like, and, and Phil has mentioned this too, like, like a $500 rental account, 
barely covers a deck with like four halberdiers in it. Like you need some, you need to own some cards on your own. Like that, that's not going to get there. Yes, that is a hundred percent true. Especially if you're doing like what Brian and I are doing, and you're trying to play multiple different decks for content production reasons. Like, I I own a good chunk of legacy cards, and it's only because of that that a five hundred dollar rental deck, a rental account fills in those gaps. Yeah, like I I try to maintain my own collection. I don't know if it's out of pride or if I'm just like the classic paper boomer who likes to own my own cards, but uh. I do try to own the cards that I play, but even, like, I guess I literally could afford, like, $400 on a set of cards on Magic Online, but not, not really. <laughs> like, like I, I would still make my mortgage payment. I wouldn't go hungry over $400, but, like, that would be deeply irresponsible, like, if I crash my car next week. <laughs> like, that, that, I, I'm not wealthy enough to just, like, eat that. So, uh, that getting some sort of sponsorship or just getting a $500 rental account just for the playset of the newest card is something that is on my table, unfortunately. So I was watching Jarvis U play some modern and the modern deck was Jund. The modern deck was 800 tickets, which is pretty expensive. And then Jarvis mentioned that the four color Omnath deck that he had been playing was something like, I can't remember the exact number. It was somewhere between 14 and 1600. Uh, like, holy God. God. I, I can uh I can find that because I I did record a league with it. Uh I was fortunate enough that I already owned Uros and Renin Sixes. Uh but let me find that thing. Uh yep. Modern four color rare binder soup is what I called this league uh when I streamed it or recorded it. And uh the lists uh in tabletop, $1,348. On MTGO, 1,087 ticks. That's right. a lot. Yeah. I, uh, the the deck I recorded today was... It, I, I recorded two leagues with a modern deck today, and the deck cost like 300 tickets in paper. And this one is $1,000 more than that. <laughs> what, what the fuck? Yeah, just coming full circle for a second. You remember when we talked about some of the like harsh realities of being a content creator? This is some of the shit that goes on behind the scenes that you usually don't hear too much about. Yeah, uh, so how I said that I just streamed Magic to warm up like practice streamings for when Artifact came out, I did not have a Magic Online collection when I started streaming. Like I, I had some Popper decks and I streamed Popper a little bit and... My friend Alexis came over once and she had like a unlimited mana traders account and we played some legacy one night. And after that, it was like when I realized I was going to be a magic content creator, it was like, okay, I'm going to stream tonight. I said I would stream uh, Rug Delver. Guess I got to buy Tarmogoyfs and, and Wastelands. And like, I, I was like hundreds and hundreds of dollars in the hole just to build the decks to then stream to you know twenty people or whatever, and and that that is a big part of content creation. Also, uh, getting to the point where you can be sponsored is is pretty critical. That's a huge level up. Something that I've considered doing that I've never pulled the trigger on is emailing Card Hoarder and saying like, "Hey, I will run Card Hoarder ads on my website if you give everyone on the epicsroom.com a loaner account to play with and i've like dealt with it because like one people donate for the site 
annually and i feel like running ads like it betrays that a little bit and two i just don't know if i want ads on my site but it's something like i've gone back and forth with like my writers would certainly appreciate loaner accounts for free like why not but i don't know i don't even know if they would agree to it it's just like something i've thought of yeah i mean at at some point you gotta like you reach a critical mass when like you who like you you staff writers like that's something to keep in mind like i i'm just me like if i had to pay an editor or anything or uh like all of that and i feel weird asking people to work with me because it's like should i pay them for their time like if they're hanging out with me for two hours of their time and then i'm posting the video like i I, i'm not making like this video might get like a thousand views and i make seven bucks off it or whatever but like should I give them three and a half of it or should I value their time at like, you know, $30 an hour or whatever that they think their time is worth? It, it's, I think it's, it's more of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Like at some point I'll ask you for something or whatever like that. Yeah. I think among content creators of the same, uh, of this level, like the, the mid-level people like us, I think it it's a very like quid pro quo kind of thing. But I, I like, I don't know. I've never, asked any of them but i'm sure like if i hit up like cedric or like emma handy or someone to like guest on my stream they'd be like sure here's my rate which is a totally fair thing for someone to do when uh, they this is literally their job so when i asked reed duke to do infernal tutoring i was like am i supposed to like ask him if he like wants a fee for doing this because like reed gets paid real money for doing articles and reed was just like nah I, i'd just be happy to do it he's like i love legacy uh but like that was like i felt so awkward like dancing around that subject and reed was just like super nice about it but, i mean what would you expect how to read duke right yeah i mean that's that's lucky and uh a lot of the people in that position were in this in our position uh, two three years ago so maybe they get it like get but it is absolutely a favor if like somebody bigger than you shows up on your website and their name drives clicks and they don't charge you for it. Like that, that's the whole business, like uh, monetizing your uh, name, image, likeness skills. So yeah, that that's definitely something that I am not at a level where I need to consider yet, but maybe close to it. All right. Um, I think we're actually probably ready to actually start talking about, like, decks now, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> right, last five minutes of the podcast. Let's cram them. <laughs> yep. All Deckless right. sideboard guide. That's why people show up. <laughs> Bread and butter content creation. All right. Um, so let's talk about the impact that Hullbreacher specifically has had on Legacy. And I know, Brian, on our previous episode, you kind of had a called shot, right? Yeah, I, I in the last episode I said that I couldn't remember its name. I said the that that three mana black card, but <laughs> opposition agent is what I meant. And uh, I, I talked about how Twitter just lost its damn mind about opposition agent. People were like posting in like the leaving a legacy Facebook group. They're like, if this is what Wizards is printing, I'm quitting Magic. And but they say that every set, like it's the same idiots who say that sort of thing. But like people were losing their shit over opposition agent. And like uh, Lawrence Harmon and I were, uh, we had a Facebook chat going. He messaged me. He was working on his article for CFB. He wanted to bounce some stuff off me. And we were both just like, yeah, I I think this card is too expensive for what you get out of it. And like, 
like uh, three drop in legacy are you kidding like this is a show and tell format like come on and, and like uh so we we were pretty low on opposition agent anyway and then they spoiled hall breacher like a day or two later and i was like holy shit <laughs> this thing if, if anyone should be mad it's about this thing and twitter was silent nobody had a thought about this they were like oh that's cool it might go into urza echo builds <laughs> and i'm like what have you seen this card it's an easier to cast narset with flash like that this hall breacher was always the the fucked up legacy card in the previous season but a lot of people missed it so going back to that uh court of cunning that's the blue one right so that was spoiled like a week and a half earlier and uh someone posted it to the epic storm chat and they're like oh this is going to see play in blue shells and myself and a couple other people discussed it and then like no one said anything a week and a half later goes by and i saw at least like four or five legacy content creators go holy shit this card's bananas i'm like this card was spoiled a week and a half ago uh and like no one else had said anything nowhere and like i just don't know if people just chose not to look at it for a week and a half or what but um i i don't seek out uh unofficial spoilers uh most of the time like i know a lot of this set was leaked before it was supposed to be spoiled actually and like i i don't look at that stuff i don't seek it out uh generally if something doesn't float across my twitter feed i don't see it <laughs> like i i don't look that hard i'm not gonna lie uh but i was definitely excited about court of cunning like i i saw that in like a blue white shell just being an alternate win con uh like the monarch is just a powerful thing I've played Palace Jailer in Blue White Shells before, and it costs one more and doesn't win the game. Uh, so, uh, it's I was one of the people excited about it, and I still think it's better than Opposition Agent. Uh, someday yeah, that's a low bar, low bar. Bro. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was honestly shocked. I went to uh, and and I got excited about the White Court the next day too, and I was like, "Whoa, Blue Court and White Court! You could be like Monarch and just hide behind the Monarchy, like buy your moats now. <laughs> like th- this might be a deck." And uh, also just uh, the the blue court, just it, it mills any number of players. So like you put it in an Uro shell, you become the monarch, you mill both players for 10, you evoke your, or your escape your Uro on turn four. It's ready to go. Like I was excited about all that. And I still am. Uh, I played against a, uh, a Bant Court of Cunning deck. It, it was like Noble Hierarchs and everything. And it, it shithoused me in the league. I was playing a... Or is a bomber man, so I'm not surprised I I got shit housed by a a lean mean blue deck. But uh, I was I was shocked this week when I was pre what not pre ordering uh now just regular ordering ordering my cards from Commander Legends and the I got bought the uh the full arts of the white court and the blue court and I think I I bought three of each and I think it was like a total of eight bucks. <laughs> they are giving those away. So one thing about the blue court cunning court court of cunning uh i did a tutoring session yesterday and there was twice where our opponent tapped out on turn three for court of cunning and promptly died so like the big thing in my mind is like this is a three minute this isn't a card review but i'm turning it into one uh like it's a three minute card where like your opponent taps out and it doesn't impact the board immediately and that like sort of bothers me i understand the value of monarch i really do but like, there's just like something in the back of my head where I'm like, it doesn't impact the board immediately. Just like bothers the shit out of me, and I can't explain why. Yeah, so I when mean, all it... the... go ahead, Phil. So when all these monarch cards were spoiled, I immediately sat down and recorded a 20 minute video on the monarch, talking about like 
its history and death and taxes and kind of like why Monarch is not actually a very strong mechanic right now in this metagame. And like there were so many people getting excited about those courts that I was just kind of like, hold on a second. The death and taxes decks don't even want to be playing Palace Jailer right now because like the Monarch emblem is so risky in this world of like Ice Fang Coatles and like Oko plus on my food or Astrolabe attack you. Like it's it's not safe. Yeah, there's a lot of pseudo haste in the format right now, like flash threats or haste threats, and it's it is a bad time to be a monarch. Um, and I, I think that like tapping out against the epic storm is is not something you ever want to do. Like, uh, I guess if your hand's bad, you just kind of have to hope they don't have it and jam your court, and then you're going to be ahead pretty quickly. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not here to critique your opponent's play, but uh, definitely. The feeling that an Epic Storm player would get when turn two Court of Calling resolves or turn three versus in the blue mirror, I will tell you, <laughs> it's a different thing. I will believe that. Uh, going back to Ice Fang Quattle, though, I don't think anyone likes that fucking card. I know that I hate it. It made Hope Agiripper unplayable. I want to play Hope Agiripper so fucking badly. Uh, so they should, like, not that I think that they should actually do this, but I just wish that card would get erased. Uh, I, I think you are alone in that. I love Ice Fang Quattle. Well, you genuinely love the card. Look, if, if we're taking that out, can we just like shove Plague Engineer out the door along with a handful of other cards? No, this is only about Ice Fang Quattle, <laughs> Phil. Please stay on topic. <laughs> no, I, I like all of those cards. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, isn't Ice Fang Quattle also expensive? Oh, no, it's down to like eight bucks. There was a time where Ice Fang Quattle was also in like the, the double digits. That was before the modern uh, Masters reprints or modern Horizon reprint. Yeah, you were able to. Yeah, it was like uh, twenty-two for a while, but yeah, they they reopened it as a draft format. Oh, it was even higher if you go back. <gasps> Ice Fang Coatl at one point was fifty-two tickets. Sign me up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yikes! All right, all right. So, final thoughts on opposition agent, like. Everyone saw it coming that it was going to get played in the Curses deck. Like, of course, the Dark Ritual, Trinisphere, Chalice of the Void deck is going to want that sort of effect. But otherwise, it's not seeing much play. Um, putting Shout out results. to the Pox players in the Leaving a Legacy group. Also, let me tell you how excited I am to hear Dark Ritual, Chalice of the Void deck. That's just good deck building. <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing that on stream tomorrow. It's going to be great. Uh. I'm excited for you. It, it, it will be. The viewers love it. I don't know why, but the mono black video is overperformed by a huge margin. Like, my second best video of all time, I think, is me, like, casting fucking Vampire Nighthawk in Legacy or something. I think it's the same three guys from the Leaving a Legacy group who are just like, oh, 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 oh. They just, like, get on Google Hangouts and watch the videos together and laugh. And they do that over and over again for, like, a thousand times. They could be, like, playing Kalidus, but they're like, no, Vampire Nighthawk Nighthawk is way more metal. We like Vampire Nighthawk. What's more metal than Kalidus? Have you seen Kalidus? I have. Kalidus is a great card. He eats your opponent's creatures into nothing and shits out zombies. (laughs) Very metal. Also just has lifelink for some reason. So, get after it, Kalidus. Alright, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> were, were we talking about hall breacher at one point tonight no i don't even know if we were talking about magic tonight yeah i don't remember 
All right, so finishing up Opposition Agent, it's also seeing some play in Arclight Phoenix decks and some, like, Snow sideboards or maybe a one-of in Esper Vial, uh, but that cart is not taking off, at least in Legacy. Um, on the actual topic of tonight of Hullbreacher in Legacy, damn, the Urza Echo deck is cool now. Yeah, I, I, I posted on Twitter uh, a, like... Uh, 40 second uh clip of my first game i played with hallbreacher uh, like i had just borrowed them from callum i just joined the league just turned on my camera first game i ever played with hallbreacher it was uh end step like i had like island ancient tomb i went in their their second end step i cast hallbreacher i untapped i cast karn i wished for lion's eye diamond spun uh, uh echo of aeons out of my graveyard got seven treasures and cast another Karn, who was able to wish for a uh, Mycosynth Lattice and cast it. It was just like, oh baby, <laughs> that was something. <laughs> like that, that was so sweet. And I, uh, I hate that deck so much. <laughs> yeah. So another behind the scenes look. Uh, Phil and I frequently share like Urza, Stompy, Chalice of the Void style decks with each other in the eternal glory facebook chat and bryant's always like you guys are donkeys i hate you so much why don't you play right of flame once in a while that deck like i the the fundamental issue i have with in my mind and this is a me problem you shouldn't be allowed to play like chalice of the void force of will like karn like all these like uh like pillars of the format all in one deck and have it be good like you should have to like pick your pillars i don't know you like you shouldn't get to have it all hey bryant have you heard of this deck called snow snow like isn't chalicing you like that's not a pillar like snow is like clearly within one pillar all right so specifically a deck shouldn't have be allowed to play all the cards that are good against storm is what you're saying no it's it's not even all against storms. It's just it literally does like every pillar of legacy, other than cast brainstorm. I mean, it's pretty bad at having basic lands in it. It also like like I, I've died to a lot of wastelands. Uh, like they just clip your ancient tomb and you can't fucking do anything. Like there's risk to this. It's a stompy deck at the end of the day. Uh, you're the one out there not playing force of will or wasteland, you weirdo. Yeah, it's like I said, it was a me problem. I, yeah, I'm allowed it, to hate things that this, beat me. This is a huge you problem. <laughs> I think you shouldn't be allowed to win the game on turn one with Veil of Summer backup. All right. Okay. All right. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, but okay. That's bullshit. All right. Speaking <laughs> and of Wizards bullshit. agrees. That's why they printed Force of Negation. The which I know you The combo <laughs> portion of this deck got considerably better. So it used to kind of be an A plus combo, A plus B combo deck that only could, like, very rarely assemble like narset plus echo at the same time that was that was not a very consistent game plan but now that like there's narset and hull breacher that game plan is actually pretty reliable not quite to the point where you're going to do it every game but you know every match that's that's something that's realistically on the table especially if you're playing three games yeah. I'd like to point out here that, like, if you have both Narsa and Hullbreacher, it is not favorable for you. So if you're going to choose to play this, like, abomination of a magic deck, please at least do it correctly. Like, if you play Narsa, you are not getting as many treasures. Just a heads up. 
that is partially true. The way that they interact, I, I have to think about this. I wasn't planning on talking about it. Um, they, they, they both replace draws, right? Correct. Uh, and yeah, the the owner when two replacement effects are in play on the same item, the affected object gets to the owner of the affected object gets to choose which one happens. So your opponent actually gets to choose whether Narset or Hullbreacher replace their draws. Uh, there, there is also um, Narset doesn't kick in if Hullbreacher is already in play. So like if you have Hullbreacher and Narset and you uh, Echo of Aeons on your own turn, your opponent hasn't drawn any cards yet this turn, so they still get their one card off Narset, and Hullbreacher replaces each of those, and they don't get a choice in the matter. Like, they never draw the one card to meet Narset's criteria. So that does still work. Oh, damn. I, I think you should try it on Magic Online. Uh, I'm, I think I have it on video of me doing that. Uh, okay. Like, pretty sure. Uh, do your own research. Don't take it any of your... I, I did not actually do any work on this because i wasn't planning on thinking about it but yeah uh narset lets each player draw one card per turn and hall breacher replaces that one draw seven times so narset is never met like it, it works on your own turn if you somehow try to like spin off on their turn uh you might get punished or if they like brainstorm in response or like ak in response they might get you I think you might be looking at it wrong because like you're looking at like Narset doesn't meet the first one, uh, but like it's still a replacement. Like it doesn't look at the first one and then shut off for the rest of the turn. It does. Like I, I just opened up Scryfall and I typed Netflix instead of Narset into the search bar. <laughs> That's not going to help us. Okay. Uh, each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. And the... Hallbreacher replaces the draw, so they never draw. Yeah, I believe Brian is correct here. Okay. Yeah, it, like it, it does it does work. Uh and also it's like because of the way Hallbreacher works, I think it will always trump Narset on your turn. Like, because Hallbreacher doesn't say they can't draw extra car or it they, like Nar Hallbreacher isn't like additional draws. It's the one draw in their draw step for their turn is what it says. So even if like you go for the Echo of Aeons, like I said a second ago, I think I was wrong. Like if they accumulated knowledge to draw a card in response, Hallbreacher will catch that before Narset does because it's not their draw step. And they will never draw a card on your turn under any circumstances with Hallbreacher in play. So I, I'm pretty sure that this is safe to work. So one thing Bryant was maybe hinting at here was that like Narset maybe shouldn't be in some of these decks in the first place. And that's something that I've seen a lot of people in the community saying that I pretty heavily disagree with. I really like the redundancy that Narset offers. Narset was always cool in these decks in the past, but didn't quite play into the Ancient Tomb thing. So it was a little harder to do early. But I totally still like Narset in the deck as another like A plus B combo piece 
plus something that helps you find your endgame finishers like Urza and Karn. Yeah, and something that came up that I did not specifically expect, but shouldn't have been surprised by when I tried this deck, is that Hallbreacher is also a colored mana source. Like, I was casting Narset more reliably because I had Hallbreacher. And, like, uh, it it was pretty normal for for me to be working every game plan to, like, maintain parity, maintain parity, mind twist you. Or, or like, get ahead, mind twist you. Like, like, like Phil has said, uh, Narset is hard to cast in these decks, hard to line up. You only had four of her. And it, it was not reliable. But having seven Narsets in the list that I played, that's what I did with my version, was was pretty bananas, like really reliable. Uh, I got a number of comments on that video, though, saying that uh, you should cut Narset before you cut Psy, because Psy is doing something so different. It's just another angle that your opponent needs to respect. And I'm kind of of the opinion that I don't give a shit what they respect if they don't have a hand. <laughs> so uh, that I, I don't know. Like I'm not an expert. I, I've played Urza Echo like twice before Hallbreacher and once since Hallbreacher. Like I, I'm not the expert. There was more testing to be done. But I I really really liked the redundancy of the Narset effect. You can also always just move side to the sideboard. Like not everything needs to be main deck to the sideboard. All right. We're, we're done. <laughs> Wrap the podcast up there. The podcast is over. We're not coming back. And we're back. Say hello to Philip Blackman. Hi, my name is Phil, and I like Lazave. All right. Um. So people are trying Hull Breacher in decks other than just this. Um, I've seen it in main deck or sideboards of fair blue decks. I've seen it in both the, like, normal aggressive merfolk variant and the weird paradigm shift merfolk combo deck. Um, have you all seen it anywhere else? I've seen it in Snow and Miracles as, like, a two-of. They both had it main deck. Yeah, I can see it just, like, sliding into any blue deck is just, like, a thing you need to respect when you play against them. Uh, Callum's mono blue control deck is so cool. Um, I... I this was the video that uh, has the most views, like the video that just went off uh, that I was talking about several hours ago at this point. But uh, Callum just built this uh, mono blue control deck. It has uh, all, all the forces, and then it also has Arcane Denial, which which is just like blue and a colorless counter target spell. The spell's controller draws two at the next upkeep, and you draw one. And like, guess what? Hallbreacher has Flash. So you can counter their spell, then in your next upkeep, flash in Hallbreacher and steal those Arcane Denial draws. Like, you don't even have to have it in play already, like Narset. Um, and then once you have Hallbreacher in play, the deck has uh, Words of Wisdom and Vision Skeins, which are both uh, two mana draw twos, and your opponent draws some number of cards too, but then you just turn that into mana. Like, like I navigated some weird spots where it was like, end step Hallbreacher, untap, uh, vision skeins for free. Like I draw two, I get two treasures. <laughs> then like that chains into a vision skeins into a words of wisdom, and then I just like uh, uh, days undoing you out of the game. And... It reminded me a lot of the what, what was the red thing from standard a while back, and now it's in historic that you cast three red spells and then you can turn it back into mana. Oh yeah, uh, runaway, Steam... runaway steamkin. Thank you. It reminded me a lot of that, where like there becomes this like fair. Not quite combo, but close to combo going off sort of thing with it. 
Yeah, and, and like on a couple board states, it I I was I like wished I had a brain freeze in the deck to dig to. Like it was just like I've just drawn six. I have six fresh mana. What am I gonna do with all this? And then I just end up like days undoing, mind twisting you, and then which, which is good enough. Like <laughs> let's be serious. Uh, but uh, just and then you pass the turn with a fresh hand of seven blue counter spells and seven treasures to cast them with, and you you just win with Hall Breacher. So that deck was really, really I cool. just want to say that I love that the Eternal Glory podcast has become a Callum Smith appreciation podcast. It always was. Always has been. <laughs> Bryant is just floating in space looking at white faces on Twitter, and I'm floating behind him with a gun. <laughs> always has been. <laughs> All right, Bryant, do you want to talk to us about Hall Breacher and Vintage? Uh, if I have you know, to. Since you paid out the butt for him. Uh, you don't really have to. I mean, we we can do this very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my thing's going to be pretty short anyway. Uh, all right, all right. Just blast it through. So I didn't realize that it was legal, the first event that you could play Hall Breacher in. So like I was recording this vintage challenge and round one, I'm like ready to go off. And my opponent like flashes in a Hall Breacher. I'm like, fuck, these are online now? And uh, like it didn't get me, but I had to play around it. My opponent was just on like bug hate bears like you guys were discussing. Um, it had Leovold, it had Narset, it had Hole Breachers, it had Deathrite Shamans, and Collector Roof. Collector Roof does not play well with Hole Breacher. I know that one for a fact. You can't convince me otherwise. Uh, I don't know how Leovold works with Hole Breacher. I couldn't tell you, but they managed to get a bunch of this stuff in play. Doesn't matter against Spray Dragon. Spray Dragon just smashes. So I managed to get that one. And the list I was playing was like pretty cool because in Vintage recently, everyone is all about like destroying lands uh, with like Ghost Quarter or Trophy. And I was playing three basic islands and Astrolabes for Metalcraft count. It was pretty sweet. Uh, but after that event, I was like, I- I'm never going to play this list again because Hull Breacher is legal. And Hull Breacher changes everything. So with trying to combine Hull Breacher and a Paradoxical Outcome, I wanted three Hull Breachers. Well, if you're going to be running Hull Breacher, you might as well be running Wheel of Fortune and Time Twister. Like Brian said, when you run these wheel effects, you end up creating seven mana with your Hull Breachers. And that's just like pretty desirable and vintage. And oh, is <laughs> exactly. Justin is vintage? that pretty desirable? And uh, I was like trying to think of like what else, if everyone's running four Pyroblast and main deck Lightning Bolts to beat Hull Breachers, like what's good against what everyone's trying to do? And with the Vintage Showcase coming up this weekend, I think that this should be a very serious consideration for everyone. Underworld Breach combo. Deck naturally is insanely good against Pyroblast. It's great against Lightning Bolt. Doesn't care about Flusterstorm. If I was like just trying to spike one event this weekend, Vintage uh, Showcase, Underworld Breach, I think it's really well positioned. So that's a very serious recommendation for me. I'm not just like blowing smoke. So I tried combining that into my deck. And so I was playing, you know, POs, Hull Breachers, Wheels, Breach Combo, like I had a Brain Freeze and a Lotus Petal added. Lotus Petal is also an artifact for Metalcraft. The deck was fun. I didn't do that well, but like it felt like there was potential there. And what I learned was with Hull Breacher in the deck, it's essentially like, Brian, get ready for this. It's a blue Monastery Mentor. You end up putting a ton of uh, treasures into play after you put uh, Tinker Citadel. And I realized, like, I don't need a Brain Freeze or a Grape Shot in the deck. Like, I know that there's no white for Mentor in my list, but you can just sacrifice 10 treasures to your Blossom Citadel, bounce your Citadel with an outcome, 
and then replace it at all and sack 10 more treasures. Like it was just so easy to do where I'm just wondering like whole breacher is your win condition now that, or you can just whole breacher and then cast multiple time locks, like play your breach time lock five times and attack with three whole breachers five times. Like those are the only win conditions that you need. So I don't think you need to be playing anything like mentor or grape shot or anything like that. Like whole breacher by itself is just enough. Uh, that might be true. Uh, like uh, Narset, I remember when you could have four Narsets in Vintage. Uh, I, my uh, second Vintage Champs top eight was in that meta, and it was just like, it, it did warp everything, like you said. Like, I played Rug PO because I got to play Pyroblast and Lightning Bolt main deck, and you just needed Lightning Bolt in your deck to deal with Narset if you were planning on drawing any cards ever. And Narset ended up restricted, and Hall Breacher is easier to cast than Narset, and also has Flash. Like, do we think Hall Breacher will be the fourth card or the fourth creature card to be restricted in Vintage? I think it's possible. Uh, I've heard a lot of people that play Vintage. I play Vintage once a week. Like, I don't play Leagues. A lot of more people that I know that actually play Vintage regular, like, it's made the format super unfun. Um, and it has a number of things to do with that. I mean, I don't see that because I don't play enough. But when these sort of effects are good, Dredge and Shops comes back in heavy force. And I don't think people like that. Yeah, shops is everywhere right now. Like I, 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 I didn't play this week, but I looked over a lot of the data, and and shops was just all over the place more so than normal. Yeah, it's it's nasty stuff. Uh, just having a a deck that exists in vintages tier one anyway that is not interested in drawing cards, like multiple of them. Uh, that's that's a a gross place to drop a card like Hall Breacher or Narset before it. Yeah. Uh, going back to the not needing other win conditions thing, if everyone's playing Lightning Bolt and Pyroblast to try to kill Hullbreacher, I found myself never wanting to board in Sprite Dragon. Like, Sprite Dragon was good because, you know, it was an overload of their Pyroblast effects, but now everyone's running so many that Sprite Dragon isn't good enough. And I was like, well, it's still good against Shops. And then my Shops opponents were just running four uh, Stone Coil Serpent. I'm like, this card is garbage. So, like, I'm just not, I'm off Sprite Dragon for a little bit. Um... And I just think that, like, those should probably be Tormod scripts because, like, Dredge is really out there now. They're just like, yeah, we don't care about Hold Reacher either. So. So, like, I've been playing Hogak Vine for a few weeks now. And I, like, I'm scared of Hold Reacher even. Like, that sucker messing with my bazaars when I, like, normally wouldn't care about, like, a 3-2 creature in most cases is a little terrifying when that can be, like, a main deck or sideboard option that I don't know how many I'm going to have to play around. That's that's spooky. And I'm, I'm not 100% that I'm playing the Vintage event this weekend, but if I am, I'm probably going to play Chops and just default to that instead. I'm spooked. Yep, well, the way that metagames work, you know what deck killed Chops last time? Trust the old paradoxical outcome. You heard it here. I think we're winding down at this point. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think we're done. Uh, we, we've we've talked a long time. The, this took a lot of uh, wobbles, and but I think it was it was fun. It, we kept it moving, and uh, we we about hit our our normal time mark. So I think yeah. we're good. I mean, I've said some stuff. Maybe it's not all accurate. Words. But... Words were said. Words were said. Fun time were had by all. The passive voice was used. All right. Uh, the, now we're just talking about the fact that we've talked, so 
Thanks for listening and we're out of here.